Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in our favorite video games. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused folks from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my stupendous co-host with me today, and sometimes plays my twin in D&D, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? I am sometimes your twin, but usually <laughs> not. For one thing, if you ever saw the two of us in person, it would not be trick too tricky to tell us apart. Unless we're calling unless it's by the standards of the 1980s movies, twins. Because that could, yeah. that could that could be Apple. Well, either well, way, except, except that we're we're both more like Danny DeVito than than Arnold Schwarzenegger. I think I'm okay with that. I'm okay. Yeah, with I that. mean, Danny DeVito's out there fighting for the rights of everyone. So yeah, um, th- this is a reference in particular to uh, episode of our D and D game, which we just uh, recently recorded, which actually should be going live roughly around the same time as this podcast. So if you're listening to this and you want to hear some fun shenanigans, Liz ran a wonderful D and D game this past weekend, which we recorded. It is now in the hands of the proper people to get it uploaded. Give it a listen. It's fun. Uh, but we're not here to talk about that. Sadly, uh, we are, however, here to answer your questions, which is a good thing. We like answering your questions. So if you do have questions for this podcast or any of our other podcasts, cause we do have multiple now, it's fantastic. Uh, the Blizzard Watch podcast and our Tavern Watch podcast, which is dedicated to tabletop gaming. Uh, you can go ahead and send those questions into us at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also send those in on our Discord channel. Uh, we do have one set aside specifically for Patreon supporters. Uh, so if you are a supporter of us, feel free to drop a line in there. We try to give you guys, uh, uh, your folks, a little bit of preference because you are supporting us and allowing us to make content like this. Um, and if you can't support us on Patreon, we understand. And if email is not your thing, we do have something set aside specifically for uh, non-Patreon supporters, which are Q and podcast questions. But feel free to send those in. We absolutely love hearing from you. And without further ado... Let's get into those questions. Uh, Our first question comes from our good friend, Vertigree. Actually, we have a couple of them from Verd today. Um, So question for Lorewatch. What is Meryl Fellstorm's story? I met him in the Mage Hall, and he seemed very kind. The wiki I read had very little detail. He taught Aladai, used his arcane question mark magic to turn himself undead in the Troll Wars 3,000 years ago, and is very involved in the comic. I've heard the comic goes to wild, multi-classing places. Perhaps it would be fun to do some sort of recap. Dare we open Pandora's box? Uh, sure. And yeah, before we get started, before I kick it over to Matt, um, the comic does go into some very odd places, which they've they've definitely walked back from. The comic definitely looks at class structure of characters in World of Warcraft more akin to D&D and multi-classing than it does by game terms. And that's, I think, is just a function of the folks that were writing and working on the comics, thinking of it more in those terms at the time. Um, We also didn't have nearly the uh, plethora of established canon and story that we do now because those comics started relatively early in Warcraft's mainstream uh, sort of appeal. So what do we know about Meryl Fellstorm? Well, first off, his name wasn't Fellstorm. Originally, uh, I believe it was Meryl Firestorm. I believe that is correct. Uh, but uh, the reason he's named Fellstorm is because he contained a demon within his body, and that demon essentially began breaking out of him and drove oh, him. Oh, no, it was know. not Firestorm. It was uh, Meryl F- Winterstorm. Wow. Winterstorm, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Sorry. I couldn't remember if it was Winterstorm or Firestorm. That's my bad, guys. Um, but yeah, he had a demon named, uh, I'm trying to remember the demon's name. It's it's in Legion. Uh Kath, I want to say Kathanatir, um, 
Maybe it's not. I, I, I don't play a mage. So this is all from watching videos on YouTube. I'll be up front. Um, but I don't know if, if I'd say his magic is responsible for him being made undead. The thing is, is that he got the demon in the comic and they've since kind of retconned the comic, but they still have the demon show up in Legion. So I'm not sure when he got the demon now. I don't, I don't, the problem with talking about this character is that you kind of have to ignore, take it with a grain of salt. Yeah. You got to ignore like, like the, the biggest source of his lore, which is the comic. But in the, in the Legion, you know, we, we know that he taught Elodi, um, as you pointed out, we know that he's undead and has been for a very long time. Uh, it doesn't really say, uh, we don't really know for sure how he ended up being undead. We don't know, but we know that undeath isn't limited to, you know, it doesn't have to be the scourge. Uh, it, it, it's, it's as long as you can make some kind of connection to the Shadowlands and, and use the power of, of, the, of the Maldraxxi, essentially, whether it's, it's through the Maw or what have you. I mean, the Maldraxxi, you see them making liches all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel, Mel, I wouldn't say that, uh, that he's a, a lich either. Um, I don't really know. Like, like you said, the problem is, is that I keep going back to the comic because I read the comics. I actually like the comic. I did uh, too. I know a lot yeah. of people didn't. Um, I know that it's like really, it's something that Blizzard was like, oh God, no, later. Um, but quite frankly, I didn't have any real problem with it. Um, I get why people did. I, I get the the idea of the Garona M- Medivh relationship. A, yeah, Medan yeah. was really what tipped people over the edge, I think. Yeah, and I get it. Uh, as a character, I understand why they didn't want him around. Basically, I th- think the basic premise is that he was one of the, the mages who learned their magic from the elves, the yeah. original hundred mages yes. that got trained by the elves to, you know, as part of the deal that the elves and the Arathor struck to get the humans to fight in that war because the elves were losing. Um, the humans were like, okay. You know, you want us, you want our help against the trolls. We get it. And we're actually willing to do it because if the trolls beat you, they're going to turn around and attack us. Mm -hmm. But we're not, you know, you want us to commit to the war now and we could just wait and then attack them while you're, you're weakened. So you're going to have to give us something. You're going to have to give us magic. We don't have any mages. You have mages train a hundred of our people to become mages and we'll help you. Uh, And the, the, the high elves were kind of up poops Creek without a paddle. So they were like, all right, fine. And they struck the compact as part of the recompense as well. They swore that they would always return the favor. If the Arathor or their descendants ever needed them, there would be like a, the, the, the king of the king of Arathor at the time. Um, and why I can't remember Thornton, um, basically made this pact with the, the high king, the elf high king who was Anisterian, uh, at the time, and th- the way the pact worked was, if a descendant of Thoradin, a direct line descendant of him, ever called for help, the the elves would have to come. They would have to honor that deal. Merrill, as one of the the hundred original ones, fought in that troll war. And I don't know if you know how it ended. The way the troll war ended was that the trolls were lured down into, um, I believe it's now Alterac, and when they got there to, to the place that they were, they, they were chasing what they believed were the, like the last remnants of the human army. When they got there, the full army of the elves and humans both showed up at once 
and the trolls were boxed into a canyon and the humans called down a firestorm on them. And I believe, although I don't know for sure, I believe that Merrill died before this could happen, but he was so determined to complete the mission that he used his magic and became undead. Yeah. That's uh, one of we those don't weird know, things we yeah. don't know, right? Like it's, yeah, we it's don't a gray know, area. Yeah, exactly. We don't know how he did it. We don't know if like the, if the Carrion showed up to take him somewhere and he was like, F no. And, you know, called the, you know, used his magic and like popped out of there somehow. I don't know, but he didn't die. Or he did die, but he didn't stop moving and walked, managed to get the uh, trolls into the right place to get just utterly destroyed by the firestorm. Um, and that might, in fact, be involved in why he changed his name, because it was literally a firestorm that they summoned that that won the troll wars, and he was instrumental in getting them into it. I don't know that, but um, Fellstorm, I believe he changed his name to Fellstorm from Winterstorm because of the demon that ended up in his body, which is interesting because I'm, I was actually a little upset that the, I, I, I don't know if this is actually still canonical. Cause again, I haven't played through like, while I have a mage, I haven't played through enough to like, see if the story is still accurate, but in the comics, uh, uh Kathra, not here. Um, I can never pronounce these names folks. There's, there are some weird pronunciations here. Um, but anytime they put an apostrophe in the middle of a word. Yeah. Like, why is that there? Am I supposed to go <laughs> Athra not there? Like, what do we have a glottal? Is it a glottal stop? Because then it should be an exclamation point. Why is there a com like an apostrophe in the middle of a name? It's one the apostrophes usually go at the end of words just to serve as a signifier. But this isn't, you know, multiples of that. This is belongs to that. It's like, oh, I, I hate I I do it all the time myself. And it's like my biggest pet peeve in my own writing that I do it. So yeah, I, I don't like the apostrophe in the middle of the name thing. That aside, but the demon, that that demon, uh, the the interesting thing is, like, that was something that was originally an uh, entity that him and the original council of Tristwall banished. Um, basically, it was all tied in with, like, uh, keeping Valeria safe and challenging the bot, like, the, the demonic, like, entity from, like, possessing her and getting it to possess him instead and where his will is so strong that he's able to suppress the demon in his body. So not only is he like a mage, he's very close to like a demon hunter in that regard too, where he essentially invited the demon in and said, nope, you're now a prisoner in my body. And there's definitely some like Diablo feel to that as well. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. And it was it was very interesting, like how that is sort of... Um, wrapped up because also I think there was a breakdown as well in the comic where the new council of Trisfall was bringing an offensive to Cho'Gall and the Twilight Hammer cult and uh, Meryl Fellstorm sort of lost control of the demon um, and the demon was able to slay one of the blood elves I think it was uh, Delinea and then drain her power before Meryl was able to like exert control um, and then after that, he realized, well, yeah, maybe, maybe me being in a position of power while I have this demon inside of me, isn't necessarily a great thing because if I lose control again, that's going to cause more havoc, possibly more death and destruction, and then put himself into a self-imposed exile. Um, and that, that's when he, I believe adopted the name Fellstorm um, as a sign of the corruption. So like, I hope that that's still the case because it's kind of one of those things where it's like, He's like a demon hunter, and it would be the one of the few instances 
of characters in the game that we have that kind of went through a similar thing to the Demon Hunters, but isn't one of them and might have also been part of the basis of maybe what Illidan found out about and was basing his creation of the new Demon Hunters on. There might be some tie there because I, I don't think it's ever fully explained where Illidan got the idea because Illidan didn't invite a demon into him. He, he pulled the power out of Gul'dan's skull. And so where did he get the idea to shove demons in elf bodies? Where did that actually come from? Because I don't think that ever explained in the Illidan book. It's just kind of a, a thing that occurred. But Meryl, Meryl Felstrom is a very interesting character in just terms of, of what they represent as far as uh, continuity from the comics. And I don't know if they've ever fully flushed out in game more of anything else you want to add about uh, Mr. Phil storm. Not really. I mean, I, at this point I have no idea if they still kept the banishing thing or if he had the guys bought and he had the demon inside of him this whole time. I don't know how, what they've changed and what they've kept in. So, yeah. And I don't think they yeah. really mentioned much of that in Legion either. Uh, because I think it has to do with like mostly him with the Forge of the Guardian uh, and the whole thing with uh, Aladai and uh, Aluneth, I think is the name of the weapon, uh, Age One Staff. Yeah, Aluneth, yeah. And so like it revolves mainly around that and I believe uh, some of finding Ebonchill, but it doesn't actually deal with specifically any of his uh demon things although he does have you get things like ritual focus focusing crystals uh, a demonic stone uh from i think it's dio the decrepit um there are some weird things that are definitely going that maybe um well i know that the demon the demon is back like that's like the part of the whole opening thing and i'm pretty sure that at the end of it they do bring him back but i i have not played a mage in legion so i can't yeah, and it's something tied in with a uh, a Nightborn Soul Stone, which is separate from a, a Warlock Soul Stone, but is similar. Um, I remember that much, but yeah, um, it is it is an interesting little little NPC. I kind of want to know more about in the future. But Vertigree also has another thing that he wanted us to talk about, and so I'm going to go ahead and bring it up here, uh, which ties in with Blood Elves and Blood Magic. So in Tanan Jungle, a daily quest mentions Lady the Andron, and the Blood Knights want Fel Orc blood samples to research rehabilitation options. Uh, he says this reminds me that the Blood Elves really seem to like the pun aspect of their name, especially considering Lothramar loves poetry and probably puns, and takes every opportunity to get involved in blood-related study, from blood crystals in the Blasted Lands and Outland to studying the Blood Golems in Pandaria and using their own against the Alliance in. Na- uh, yeah, in Nazmir, to Paladin's red and gold blessing of sacrifice costing you own health. What fun blood magic blood jokes would you like to see the Blood Elves accomplish? So this is somewhere in between uh, both podcasts, and it's something we can explore a little bit more on the Blizzard Watch podcast, but what do you think the Blood Elves are legitimately so obsessed or seemingly obsessed in-game with blood in particular? Because it does seem like they have a lot of, like, I'm going to go and do this thing. It has blood on the title. This seems, do you think they're still looking for cures for their people? Do you think they're still looking for uh, essences of power or how to cleanse others uh, from their plight? Like they tried to do their own with inviting the light into themselves. What do you think? Well, I mean, I think to a certain degree, the kind of blood magic that they're using in Nazmir is different than what the blood elves call blood magic. Because if you look at what the blood elves call blood magic, it's very much about fire and like magical energy directly. 
uh, and it sort of feels like the, what they're calling blood magic. It's not about blood itself. It's about using blood as a, instead of say the, the well of eternity because they didn't have access to the well of eternity anymore. So the kind of blood it's, it, it's fairly demonic in nature. Um, you know, they were actually tapping into what we would later see them doing um, when they got their hands on, on Muru, they were doing with demons. Uh, they were literally ripping the magic out of the demons they were fighting. That's why they, they had drain mana was one of their things. And they also had banish. Like this is again, going back to Warcraft three, like they had flame strike banish and death and drain mana. Those were their big spells. And it's essentially their the, the blood they're talking about is the fell blood. Um, I think since then, since they've, they've gotten the new Sunwell, which is, you know, using the Holy light. Um, I think that they've, they're not so much, they've moved away from the fell thing, but there's kind of an, of a thing in Warcraft that there's a magical essence that we're, we're seeing in the Shadowlands. When you die, you bring that essence with you. You know, the, the whole idea of the, what do you call it? Anima? Yeah. Anima. Yeah. The anima that you see in the Shadowlands is very similar to this concept of like, life is itself magical power and there are different kinds of life and there's different ways to tap into that power. But if you're alive, you have mana, you have magic and you don't necessarily need to get it from somewhere else. But if you try taking it out of yourself, that's a problem. Like that is your life force you are dealing with. Uh, so it's better to get it from other places. So you don't die. Um, and you see that like the blood elves were very curious about, when, when we went into Throne of Thunder, there were the Anima Golems. And God, Blizzard, I wish you'd used a different word if you meant these to be different things. Uh, you know, every, we keep hearing that the Anima from, from that wasn't the same Anima. But it's like, did you have to call them both Anima? <laughs> Couldn't one of them be called something else? Regardless. But there might be a reason that, for that later. You, we you, never saw the, you saw the Blood Elves were very interested in the Anima Golems. And they were very interested in the whole, like, weird blood magic that the the... I want to say Mogu. Yes, the Mogu. Mm -hmm. the, the, the weird blood, you know, corruption magic that the no Mogu were doing. That's something that the Blood Elves are very interested in as well. Every time some new form of blood magic shows up, the Blood Elves are interested in it. And yeah, I, I get the, that, you know, it does seem like they're like, oh, blood. We're, we like blood. It's in our name. But I think it's it's more literal than that. The, uh, the Blood Elves went through like something that's very hard for other people to comprehend. I think only the nightborn could really the, comprehend yeah, the, it. I think the nightborn would be the closest. And even they went through it differently. The, the blood elves were, when they were high elves were so dependent on the well of eternity, which suffused their realm because it meant that they could tap into magic without any personal cost. And that's the difference between the magic they did before and blood magic, blood magic since there's no giant font of power right there to tap blood magic takes it from other sources. It takes it from, you know, demons, demon blood is great because it's absolutely packed with fell. You know, it's just, woo, this is like candy, but it's also, you know, not particularly nutritious or filling that you, you see people who, who tap into fell magic get corrupted and destroyed. Um, whereas, you know, the power of the Naru, they could tap into that and become the blood knights. Now they weren't taking the Naru's blood because they didn't have any, but they were taking its metaphorical blood. They were bleeding it in a very real sense. They were, they were tapping into its power. They were treating it like the sun well, basically. And that's what hastened it to go into the dark mode because they, they had literally drained it. Um, 
and that's you know something um Leandrin even points out she's like you know we did this uh so i think that's the thing the key here is that blood's a really good metaphor for for magic here because it's like about tapping into that life force that power that life generates and that generates life um and you get it you know when you don't have access to some huge font that you can just draw from endlessly like the well of eternity or the sun well you need to get it from somewhere else and that way you know you're not getting it from yourself if you try tapping into your own power you know like there's there's magic that does that we see that in game there are beings who like use their own blood uh but it usually ends up being a finite resource because you've only got so much of it so yeah, I think it is based around those ideas. I, I don't think it's ever been explicitly stated, but you see every time somebody comes up with something like blood magic of some form or variety, whether it's Throne of Thunder, whether it's the Nazmir Swamps, the Blood Elves will be there to look at it. And you could say that, that they're like that with all magic, and they are, but they are really interested in, in the ones that are about you know, altering life blood. Almost. Yeah, manipulating life, altering life, drawing upon life for power. That's one of the things that I, th I think is fascinating is is that they they sort of are the perfect I don't want to say warrior against that but they are fulfilling that paladin role almost the same way that the uh, original paladins were protecting against the void and and the shadow and the darkness uh, by using the light they're protecting against the manipulation of life at this point now I'm not saying that was always the case but because they have an intrinsic understanding of Right, they went through it. They went through it in a manner that no, nobody else can claim that they went through. Uh, they've gone through uh, such a deep dive into sort of how that sort of magic works that they're kind of who you would want on the forefront of those types of battlefields because they're going to understand like what exactly like let's say the the blood trolls are doing. They're going to understand what the blood golems are are sort of made out of and how they're functioning with the mogu magic. And that's sort of their thing. That's sort of their specialty. And we talked about this before where all of the paladins that exist in Warcraft right now, uh, and I can't remember, I think it was like three or four episodes ago, they all seem to have like a very specific specialty, That, but they're still paladins. And I think that's kind of interesting. The thing that I find the most fascinating is I haven't really seen them this expansion. And I would have thought that this would have been something right up the alley, that the manipulation of life energy, or in this case, anima, was very close to all of the blood magic that the Mogu have been using, uh, things that they've studied, very similar to the manipulating of life and death that the the uh, blood trolls did. I'm very curious why they aren't more present and why they haven't taken more of an interest, or if it's something that they simply... And I would be very interested to see if there's something more for them to sort of uh, have to say on this, or... Did they stay behind because they're still dealing with everything that's happening with Azeroth? Because that's another thing that I, I would have expected them to be a little more present in. We talked about like the druids and the shamans trying to heal Azeroth during uh, Battle for Azeroth uh, and having sort of those moments where they're like trying to sort of work to, to seal up the wounds that have been popping up all over the world. But I'm curious where the Blood Elves were doing during that time because this, again also seems like something rather alley lifeblood of the planet being manipulated and used in sort of arcane rituals or as components for spell casting we see we see that happen 
maybe they stayed behind to take a closer look now that, you know, we're not trying to beat each other up. And now that an old God's not trying to blow up the planet. And while everybody else is sort of dealing with what's happening in the Shadowlands, that's more for the Death Knights to deal with. That's more for the champion to deal with. Um, We'll stay here and keep working on this problem that everybody else seems to forget. And I'm kind of curious if we're going to come back and the Blood Elves are going to be like, yeah, no, we figured out what to do with this. Um, This is how we fix this problem. Uh, It's, well, maybe fix it. Here's our insight. And if anybody's actually going to listen to that, because that's the other side of it, is uh, a lot of folks, I think, uh, won't actually listen to them because of their their sordid history, which I think is quite a shame. All right. Uh, we have another question here, unless there's anything else you want to put in there. No, I think we're good. All right. Hello, watchers. I'm currently thinking about the cosmology chart and how the classes of Warcraft fall into each section. My current list is light, paladins and priests, chaos, warlock, death, death knight, void, priests, Order, Mage, uh, in uh, parentheses, Arcane, Life, Druid. Shaman and Fire, Frost, Mage don't seem to fit into the larger cosmology associated with elemental magic. The only three I'm not sure of are Warrior, Hunter, and Monk. I actually don't know if they fit into the cosmology chart in this way, but if you had to put them into or fit them into the cosmology chart, where would you? Thanks, and this is from Cowit, a Torn Druid from Bleeding Hollow. Um, I don't know if okay, I, I'm I got, on... Before, we, no, go before you go on here... I, I can't help but notice that you think rogues have a place, but you didn't list them. Like, where are you putting rogues in this little this, shadow, this whole thing? Why? Because <laughs> they do a few shadowy Cause, things? Because they are the knight. Uh, <laughs> but Sorry. regardless, um, straight up warriors are just warriors. They're not infused by anything. The whole point of the warrior class is that we basically all these great cosmic forces, you know, are empowering champions. Warriors are like, screw you. I'm just mad enough to get out to get around it. I don't need you. I've got yelling. <laughs> it's like, so I would elemental plane of I, yelling. I would, got it. I would straight up resist putting them into any of this, unless you count the the plane that Azeroth is part of as its own part of the cosmology. Cause then that'd be them. They are of that world. They are, they are wholly terrestrial, to, to use another you know, phrase for it. There's nothing supernatural or occult or extra-dimensional about warriors. It's just, it is the most primal thing anybody does. It's, I mean, it's, it's like picking up a rock to hit somebody and then looking at that rock and thinking, I could make this rock better for hitting people. That's it. It's, that's, you know, hitting things and yelling at them. That's the warrior thing. So yeah, I would, I would resist putting them into any like plane of existence. Hunters, I think you would basically put in the dream, right? They would Along have to be druids. Na- well, there is a nature, so I would I would say it's either if they're going to say Emer- uh but maybe definitely in the nature realm. Well, he put he said life. He didn't say nature, but I think that's basically the same thing, right? Well, so to sort of recap, I guess let's let's step back. The original cosmology chart, which is what this is based off of, has six major spheres and then sub spheres from there. You have shadow, death, order, disorder, life, and light, uh, and then from there there are subdirectories. So yes, I would say that if we're going from just the major ones, life would be where I think hunters somewhere in that range. But I mean, if there if there's more for you want to say, please feel free. You go for a bit because you just made me think of something, but I need to look at some things. So sure. go ahead and I'll come in. The one thing that I I, I, I understand what you're going for here, Kawit, and this is one of those things where I, I pull a mat and say I don't necessarily agree. Um, it's it's hard to look at it in context just of that because there are aspects of all of the classes that could, in theory, be fit 
into literally any of the major categories as we understand it from that one cosmology chart. And that's not taking into account the the uh, presentation that this cosmology chart is flawed or inaccurate uh, based off of what we know from the grimoire. But you can have warriors that fight for life. We have sentinels. We know that they fight, they fight for them. You have warriors that fight for disorder. We have the Burning Legion. They have warriors in the Burning Legion. Um, you can have undead that wield the light. You can have mages that wield fell. The interesting thing about how everything is laid out is all of these classes don't necessarily have one specific calling. I'll use shaman as an example. Shaman can literally be in any of these categories if you really want to push it, right? Or if you really want to make the, 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 the leaps here because fire and air are located more towards the disorder side of things. Yet shaman call upon spirit in water are more towards the life side of it. Shaman call upon earth is towards the order shaman call upon. We also know that there are dark shaman that call upon forces of domination to bend other things to their will, which goes towards more the the whole aspect of decay. We know that there are shaman that, that have, been undead or or made to be undead or or worked with undead in the past canonically there have been examples of this uh you can fit into anything that that sort of is that individual's uh sort of forte and that's one of the things i like about it is because there is no hard and fast rule for where classes fit because classes can kind of slot into anything and it all depends on the character's background or the character's racial background of what they've gone through or where they're from. Um, going to Paladins, we we talked about that a little bit earlier today, and we talked about that several weeks ago, where the Paladins all seem to have their own different specialty, but they're not necessarily all just the light, and the light can be a number of things for them. You know, maybe they call upon fire, because the fire brings light, but the fire is not necessarily purely in the light domain. Uh, maybe they call upon the moon. Uh, still technically the light, but maybe pushes more towards the nature side of things. You can have dark paladins. We know that they exist. And I'm not just saying death knights. I'm saying like there have been instances or at least uh, allusions to anti-paladins, as you would traditionally call them, throughout the history of the game world as well. And they lean more towards decay or the earth of the deep places. You can literally justify any class into any of these. And that's one of the things I really appreciate how if you just look at the pure cosmology chart, nothing is hard and fast. All right, I'll turn it over to you, Matt, since you said you had something. Well, no, it's just I keep thinking about it. Like one of the things about the cosmology chart and the, ref- the, the supposedly refined cosmology chart is, and I think uh, Taliesin and Evitel did a show on this and mentioned it too, is they're not contradictory. No, they're not. Because this is it's a two-dimensional representation of an extra-dimensional idea. Yeah, a non-Euclidean space, essentially. It's like you could have them, they might all contact each other. Like in the refined cosmology chart, they have death with light right next to it and then, you know, disorder and then life. Whereas in the original one, light and life are much closer. But both could be true because these are all, you know, these are all planes of existence or realms of, you know, reality. They don't, they're not literally just big circles on a Mm -hmm. flat piece of Mm -hmm. paper. They're, they're not even spheres because they're not three-dimensional. They're extra-dimensional. They're like fourth-dimensional, fifth-dimensional. They have their 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 relationships are not easily presented. 
having a, a flat map on a piece of paper to give you an idea of, of what they are, their scale and their orderling is fine, but you can't, if you assume that this means, oh, the other one's wrong. No, they're, they're both possibly right, or they're both equally inaccurate because you are attempt. It's like we try to, to draw maps of the place we live on the, you know, the surface of the earth. And we screw that up because the earth is a big globe and not a giant, you know, you can't make a piece of paper and represent the, you know, the, the land masses as they look on that globe. Um, even a globe, like when we have an actual globe, I've got one in my office I'm looking at right now, even that has limits in terms of actually presenting the, the world as it is. Uh, when you are trying to represent something that is, you know, beyond space in something that is smaller than space, because, you know, a, a two-dimensional representation of something lacks one of space's three dimensions. Mm-hmm. When then you're trying to, you're trying to represent something that has more dimensions than that within that thing, you, you're never going to be able to do it accurately you can give people an idea you know a ballpark that's it that's the best you can do so i feel like they're not contradictory but also i feel like the center of these things is always the plane we live in yeah and i've talked about that in the past where like we have the great intersection right plane we live in is made up of all of those things um and like again, using the warrior as an example, a warrior can tap into any of these things because they're all part of his existence. Decay and death, and I mean they make death. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, they we, do. We, we kill people. That's what we do. Um, but you know, certainly there's no opposition to using fire or bursting forth into flames, even if you get angry enough. Um, I just I feel like there's a trying to say that they're the representing of these things is less accurate than saying that they tap into them. I feel like Joe's got a point in terms of like, you know, how shaman can there's, there's a bit in the refined cosmology chart where they have the, the four elements plus spirit and decay, which is the like anti-spirit essentially. It's like the, the, the death version of spirit. It's what happens to spirit. It dies and goes forth into the shadowlands. Um, and I think that in terms of like classes, like rogues or hunters, or, you know, shaman or warriors or anybody really. Cause you know, paladins, certainly all the stuff Joe just said, mages with their tapping into various powers, it all comes down to, they live in a universe that's made up of all of these things. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. And, and in order to work in that universe, what was that? You know, once out of nature, I will never take my bodily form from any natural thing um, from Yates. Nobody in the world gets out of nature. They are part of it. Nature is literally the place they are. So in a way, you know, everything is natural, even the supernatural. The supernatural is natural to these people because it is something that they experience on a relatively frequent basis. And therefore, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to just, not, I don't feel comfortable trying to put them into little boxes. Yeah. And uh, someday we could, someday we could have shadow paladins. Who knows? Yeah. I don't and, know. And you, after this expansion, that might be a thing. We talk about this. We talked about this, I think, last Blizzard Watch podcast. Like what happens to Anduin at, at the end of this expansion? Maybe he starts working on that whole thing where now he embraces that shadow side of him a little bit more than just purely the light. And next thing you know, we have shadow paladins. Um, again, I understand what you were trying to go for, Khaled, and I don't think it's a, a terrible idea. I just think that it is it's too it's limited in this. It's very limited in this application just because of the very nature of it. And I, I think, mean, it's interesting shorthand and, you know, some of the things you said, I don't, I'm not arguing with them. I don't think, you know, saying that arcane mages tap into order. I mean, that seems to be pretty basically true, Yep. but it doesn't mean that that's all they do. 
and that, that or that that's their power source. It's more that they just they have an affinity for it. Yeah, agreed. All right. Well, hopefully that uh, that gives you some more insight. Uh, I know we didn't really necessarily answer your question, but hopefully that gives you something. Um, our next one comes from Reactor, a forsaken hunter on Spirestone. And this is a multi-parter, so we're going to deal with them one by one. Uh, there's a lot of talk of eliminating the factions. I am not in favor of this. Uh, I think having opposing forces is integral to the game. It is Warcraft. Like the idea of allowing cross-faction grouping for raids in dungeons. We often put aside our differences when faced with a meet anyway. Uh, so this brings us to the first question. What are your thoughts on allowing cross-faction lines? Uh, it could be a player choice upon receiving a certain level of quest chain involved, players faced with a scenario, um, and any reasons to switch, whether it's greed, glory, ideals, etc. Basically adding some more RPG elements back into the game where choices and actions have consequences. Uh, players turning on the other side could also have to earn reputation, trust, uh, enter the cities, utilize vendors, NPCs, etc. But as this happens, they're all faction more hostile. This might be a more mechanic-based question, but lore-wise, we understand that cross-faction can be a thing. I'm sorry, but like every time I'm asked this question and I'm asked about, like since this is Lore Watch, I'm going to talk about the lore of it. Every time this question comes up, I keep going back to the the biggest Warcraft game before World of Warcraft, Warcraft Three. Mm-hmm. Where literally everybody gets together versus the un- and, versus the undead yeah, legion. Yeah, and by the end of it, by the by the end of the original campaign from from Warcraft three, not you know not the the follow up stuff, not the Frozen Throne, but at the end of Reign of of the first game, you're you know everybody has allied and fought the 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 legion together, the horde, the horde's allies, the alliance, the night elves. Everybody who wasn't undead basically said, F this. And even the undead were like, we're going to go over here now and let this happen without our, you know, without us being involved. We have, we have other things that we have to worry about, like this crisis yeah. of identity. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Prince Arthur. Yeah. Prince Arthur is doing stuff and we're, we're going to be over here. Uh, you guys can have a lich. You can have rage winter chill. That, that's fine. And to me, that's the thing. That's the, the thing that keeps coming back to me over and over again. Every time someone tells me that Warcraft is about orcs versus humans, I'm like, did you play Warcraft 3? And not only did you play Warcraft 3, did you go through the uh, the Caverns of Time? Did you do Hajjul? It recaps basically the end point of Warcraft 3. It is the pivotal moment of it where everybody yeah. has set aside their, their differences and said, we have a larger threat to deal with right now. And which is exactly what you're saying, right? You're saying yeah, that. And, and the thing is, is that World of Warcraft has been a, a perfect example of a game that has repeatedly had to relearn this lesson. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We did it. We, we did it in the original game in Silithus. We, we did it kind of in Burning Crusade because we both, you know, we, we were like, let's not fight each other. We got this to deal with. Uh, Wrath of the Lich King had to learn it again. And we kind of unlearned it because Garrosh was being, you know, totally high on his own ego. Um, Obviously, Cataclysm, we unlearned that lesson super hard. Uh, Nissa Pandaria, we're still, you know, in the process of relearning it again. Uh, Warlords of Draenor, again. Legion, again. Battle for Azeroth, again. I, I don't feel like I need to learn this lesson anymore. I feel like I, 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 this is not me wanting to disrespect your statement. You, you have the right to feel how you feel about the factions. If you believe they need to exist, I don't necessarily believe they don't need to exist. I believe they need to not be like a player's problem. Yeah, I, that, and it I not, think that's it, yeah. Yeah, it is not my problem what the rulers of these nations do. Uh, and, and, you know, 
we're a bunch, you know, one of the reasons that I, it's kind of too bad that, wow, people are often argue about, I want to get away from being the champion of this or the champion of that. I want to go back to like simple stuff. It's like, no, that's not the problem. It's not being involved in huge cosmic struggles. That's the problem. The problem is, is because you are identified with a faction so strongly, you can never do anything else. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, because I'm literally like the, the gleaming champion of Azeroth and, and the hero of the Alliance, I can't do a quest for Thrall unless he completely divorces himself from the Horde. And that's the thing. It shouldn't, it shouldn't matter. I should be able to walk into Orgrimmar. Like, if you look at the world, hostile nations have citizens from those hostile nations go to other nations. Like, there, there are people in New York City right now who are from places that would like to destroy New York City. Mm-hmm. That's what happens and in big cities. You're hitting on you're I hitting on something like- re- that I really I think is is poignant here, and I don't mean to interrupt you. Like, Go ahead. I, and I think this ties in with the the second question of like, do we need a third faction or faction realignment? I don't think that necessarily is the case. I think the factions, like Matt's saying, can they can exist. They can be there. They can do their political stories. They can have you know the leaders of these factions like disagreeing with each other or fighting over territory or whatever they want to do. But I agree with Matt. I, I, I think that the time of it being a player problem is past. And I think that's how you solve sort of this problem is if you really wanted to get rid of the factions, but keep the, the meat of like the factions don't necessarily get along, then have players be able to do whatever the heck they want for whatever faction they want with like, without having to wait for a specific, Oh shit moment the universe is about to end. Let's put aside our differences. And then you get a quest from Thrall if you're on the Alliance side or if you're on the Horde side, Anduin d- decides that he's going to give you a quest. Like you can move beyond that and allow the champions to transcend the necessity of being so tied in with yeah, the intrinsic identity of the factions. I thought we were going to get this in Legion and we kind of did for a little while. A little bit, yeah. Because I thought that the order halls were going to be a great way to be like, no, uh, I, I am not your servant i am you know i am the head of this powerful order and my role is to protect my world if i if i can protect my world by doing stuff for that other side then i will do it uh you guys can squabble over who gets to rule while i get busy on who gets to be alive Mm -hmm. yeah exactly you know and that's if nothing else i mean take a page out of like tabletop where you can have multiple nations that are all doing their own stuff and players can go from nation to nation. And yeah, it's weird to see, it would be weird to see night elves just in Orgrimmar, but you could put your hood up and say you're a nightborn at this point. You're going to tell me the average orc can really tell the difference between a nightborn and a night elf. Like there's a certain amount of stereotyping to it, but yeah, like you think of the average citizen, they're just going to see a pointy eared person walking through their city. At this point, there are tons of purple skinned pointy eared people wandering through horde territory, calling themselves members of the horde. And we literally just, we, we literally just talked about this. The, the difference between blood elves and high elves, aside from height, there's really not the the skin tones are the same. Like, if a, if a high elf decides to walk through Orgrimmar and says, yep, I'm a blood elf, nobody's going to question it. Especially now that blood elves don't even have the green eyes anymore. Yep, gone. The fell eyes are some gone. Of them, some of them have glowing yeah, golden eyes. Some of them just have normal eyes. There's literally nothing except the, you know, fashion sense distinguishing the two at this point. It's not that hard for a high elf to put on a red cloak and say, yes, the blood. <laughs> it's the, we're at the point where, you know, the Pandaren could easily walk between factions and it's not like you can tell. They don't have like a sword symbol stamped on their forehead. Yeah, they weren't branded um, or anything. 
right? Yeah, so. and we, we just come up with the ways Void Elves could probably get away with it. They could just be like, oh, yeah, I'm sick. Uh, you know, Night Elves and Nightborn. Nightborn could easily walk into an Alliance town and nobody would know, especially if the Nightborn were like, yes, I'm one of the Highborn. Like, the Highborn mages don't look that different from this. You yeah. know, the, the ones, the Shrendel, the Shrendel are. It, it would be very difficult for the average farmer to know the difference. I mean, sure, it'd be weird if an orc rocked up to Stormwind, but we could get there in game easily enough. It would as simple as saying that the Alliance has managed to finally negotiate a peace deal with the Blackrock orcs. Yeah. Do, do the Blackrock are like, look, all right, we, we get it. We're going to stop raiding you. We just want to keep this patch right here because we need we can't grow food in Blackrock. Listen, you don't you don't want this land. We understand why that volcano over there. It's a pain, but we kind of live in it now. Uh, can we just have this little farmland over here that we that, that that's kind of in between everything? And we will we'll trade you with alone. you. We'll trade. We will yeah. tr- we will trade with you for food in exchange for not f- well, fighting. And then you could actually have like orcs in alliance and, territories as NPCs. Yeah, and they're right there like, with the Dark Iron too, right? Yeah, yeah. And the Why Dark not? Iron are part of the alliance now. Yeah. Have the dark iron broach it, you know. Hey, yeah. you know, Nothar- you know, Notharian's gone, Nefarian's gone. They don't have any reason to fight us anymore. All their their really aggressive leaders got destroyed with the iron horde. They just want, like, at this point, the ones that are left are just hungry. They're like, actually really good at like hauling stone and stuff with us. They've been working in yeah. the mines and, and getting raw ore. We've been helping them out. Why don't we just like let them kind of be part of this now like they can they can help us they can help bring things to market they understand how to raise pigs better than we do let's and, and you could totally do it like where it doesn't change the fact that there's a the horde and the alliance exist and each are like majority nations you mm-hmm, know mm-hmm. Stormwind is a mostly human kingdom orgrimmar's mostly orc but you could totally have what if some pirates decided screw it we're going to work with the horde now you've got human pirates who who are like you know doing trade with the horde and we know that that's a thing. Yeah. And it, it is already a thing in game. Yep. So you're like booty Bay, tons of humans on there. So, so yeah, I think at this point you leave it in game, leave the, 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 the factions in game. And it's understood that the majority of those peoples live in those places and are part of those organizations. That doesn't mean everybody has to. Yeah. And like they did it, the, one of the reasons I liked the comic book was they had the, the gladiatorial arena thing. And they had people from all over Azeroth. Granted, most of them were enslaved, but still, but they were people from all over Azeroth and it wasn't weird to see them. Like you knew they were there. You knew what they were doing. When, when Varian goes to uh, Thunder Bluff, it's not like wild. And no one's like oh, a human. Oh my God. They were like, Oh, Hey, it's the human gladiator guy. I, yeah. I know that. I just feel like, again, take a page from pen and paper and just, stop making it so it's you know so heavily factionalized in real life people go to places and intermingle even if they don't agree their nations don't agree and they and they're even in conflict mm-hmm. that doesn't mean you won't find people from the other places there and i feel like that's what world of warcraft should be doing i 100% agree and i think that's that solves and satisfies both problems right it's a solution that allows you to keep the faction uh, divide there for any PvP regards or anything you want. You can still have it be a central part of the story for politics, but then you take the burden of that off the players. Yeah, and, I don't have to be part of like you know the new Horde we, War, War Chief wants to set orphanages on fire. I'm not I down don't with that. Have yeah, to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, we, told, we, talked this, we, we talked about this. We talked about this with the Burning of Tuldrassil. 
Yeah, exactly. Or the alliance, the, the alliance are going to like you know poison you know poison wells in Mulgore. No, no, they are not. I'm an alliance member, and I'm not going to have this. I don't care who you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, you, you don't go poisoning children in, in Mulgore. For God's sake, they're little baby cow people. I'm not going to kill. Look at how cute he is. His eyes are huge. You want to poison that? No, I am not down with that. No, and you'll get plane striders too. So the druids are against it. Yeah. No, you can't poison that. The plain striders do kind of the same way. You know, and, and just, you could have conflicts with your own faction. Yeah, you know? exactly. And, and I think that would be more I, interesting. I, I got, I got kind of worked. Up. No, no, it, but I think it's, I think this is a good topic, right? Like it's a, this is why I wanted to add, talk about this is because story-wise, again, there are things that we talk about that our characters wind up having to do or go along with that we wouldn't necessarily agree with. There is no moral choice. And, you know, we talk about bringing more RPG elements into it. You could very, 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 I don't want to say easily because I don't know the level of effort, but you could very easily see how that could work where you start introducing more RPG elements into it. Do you agree with this? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. You go along with this plan to, to burn down orphanages. No, here's the quest from the other side that you can now go do because you don't yeah. want to burn down orphanages. It, um, it's easy conceptually. Conceptually. Easy, I don't know the technical easy stuff. to justify this. Yes. It's easy in the lore. It's not necessarily easy to do it. In fact, going back and redoing all that content would probably be a nightmarishly difficult, but it is not hard to say, you know, in the next expansion where we are taking this different tack and designing it, you're going to have to design the next expansion anyway. Yep. So designing it so that it had more player choice. Again, it's easy conceptually. We're not saying this is nothing. Why don't they do this? It takes no, no, no. We it, understand it the amount of work. Yeah. Yeah. It could be ridiculously hard, but conceptually it can be justified easily enough. There's enough stuff in lore. There's places like freehold where everybody is, you, you, you see people from everywhere. It's like, why are pirates the only cosmopolitan people who don't see race or skin color or they, they see it, they know it's there, but, but they, they don't, don't let they it don't control care. them. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't, you know, uh, are you a good pirate? Yes, I'm a good pirate. That's all I need to hear, Tusktooth. You know, it's, that's it. And I feel like we should, we could have more of that in our World of Warcraft. I would agree. And especially after everything that's happened at, at the end of this expansion is a perfect opportunity to start exploring that a little bit. And we talk about what, what happens after we come back from the Shadowlands. I mean, I'm thinking about it in terms of my character, right? If my character just got through fixing life and death and, and all this stuff and saw a, a, an entire plane of existence where technically who you were in life didn't matter, if you wound up in Ardenweld, you were just Ardenweld. If you wound up in uh, Revendreth, you were just Revendreth. Um, if you ran up and wound up in Bastion, you were just somebody in Bastion. Like, yeah, look at Maldraxxus, which yeah. is really, I think, the ultimate example of this, where, you know, you show up in Maldraxxus and you might turn into a giant spider person, you know? Or, you choose, don't, you or don't, choose to be, right? Yeah, choose to be. Yeah, exactly. You you're, you may pick a form that has nothing to do with who you were in life. The only thing that matters is that in life you were willing to fight, you know? And, you know, if you want to pick a plane warriors might be from, it might actually be Maldraxxus. But regardless... <laughs> Yeah, I, I feel like there's this, there's room for this in the game. I feel like th there needs to be a, a, a moving away from this concept of the game as being about big factions and because it's not. It's about characters. If you want the big faction stuff, that's where the war games are. That's where the you know like you design the your RPSs. battlegrounds around that. Yeah, 
or the RTSs. Put out a new Warcraft RTS if you really want to do that. If because because playing it in an MMO is not as exciting as it once was because it's not new anymore. I would agree. So. Yeah, and and not to belabor the point, but I just want to make sure that we because we're coming up on time, so I don't think we're going to get to the other two questions that you had included. Um, try to speed run them, run, ask them. We'll go fast. We could, and you know what? Why don't we? Why don't we try to do this so we can get all of them? In. Um, but beyond that, yes, let's let's start exploring what the a, a, a less faction focused player experience. Uh, but your other question is: Do you think we'll see any interaction between Lothramar and Kalthos in Shadowlands? What might that look like? I hope at some point we get that because I would absolutely love to see those two interact in some manner. Like, yep. Yep. No, I'm taking care of things because you decided to go off and uh, do that fell stuff. And, you know, Kalthos going, are the people okay? Did we succeed? And Lothamar going, yeah, I think we did. And him just going, all right, cool. I'm going to be here for now. Like, I I don't know how else that would be, but I, I think there would be a genuine conversation about how the people are doing because Kalthas, for all of his flaws, cared about his people. He was he was trying to do what he believed would be the best for them. Now, we see that actually a few times in groups that interface with the Legion. Um, we saw that with the Nightborn, actually. So again, I think that the Elisande and the Nightborn definitely have some some similarities to the, the Blood Elves there. Which is why I think Lothramar and First Arcanus get along so well. Yeah, I mean, that whole idea of the leader that, you know, couldn't see another way out. And, and took the, the quote-unquote devil's bargain because it was the only way they could see to save their people. Um, and the, the burden of that leadership is a big deal. And Kael'thas was not ready for it. He had not trained for it. He had not, he had spent his time going, you know, to magic school and becoming a powerful mage, as was expected of him. But he hadn't been exerting a lot of control over the people like, oh, as he was never really training to be head of state. Because he, you know, Anisterian could have lived another couple thousand years. You know, as long as we get the sun well, Anisterian could live, you know, quite a long time. I'm not in any hurry. And then suddenly, yes, you're in a hurry. And he's playing catch up and yep. he's not ready. Yep. And he doesn't, you know, he, he's lost a lot of his people and a lot of his support. And he's faced with like this disaster that's going to destroy them. And he's, he has to come up with an answer right now. It, I feel like people don't really pay attention to the tragedy of Kael'thas. It's not that he went evil or switched paymasters or whatever you're looking at. It's that he was presented with, you're the one who must save our people. It, he is he is the embodiment of what Arthas thought was happening to him. Like, Arthas thought he had to save his people and thought that that burden was falling squarely on him. That burden did squarely fall on Kalthos. Like, he had no other choice but to step into that role. Matt's absolutely right. And it was one of those things where... Yeah, the, everything, every decision he made, every uh, option he took, it may not have been the best option. And it, we know now in, in the, the old saying that hindsight is twenty twenty. Yeah. But, but at the end of the day, he was doing those, he was making those decisions, taking those actions because he wanted to save his people. We talked about it when we talked about the episode with um, the, the Serpent Shrine Cavern. And we talked about how... Uh, Kalthas came into the employ of Illidan with the blood elves and everything else. It was because he was promised that he would, his people would be cured, that the cure yeah. would be given to him. It wasn't mm-hmm. that I believe in his mission. It was, he has the solution that I've been looking for. And instead of giving it to them, instead of like, you know, letting them take it home and put it in the sun. Well, he gave Kalthas one vial. Yeah. 
and said, yeah, it's good enough. And Kael'thas was like, if I use this and it doesn't work, we don't have anything. And yeah, and that's how, you know, because Illidan didn't care about Kael'thas or his people compared to his mission that he had in his head that he was going to stop the Legion all by himself. And as a result, Kael'thas switched sides. And I, I, I'm not trying to justify that. And I think Lorthamar would very like have very good things to say, you know, this is how you, you know, you, you nearly destroyed us and Kael'thas would have to accept that. That would have to be like part of the exchange. But I do think that it's very much a case of somebody who was not ready for a task suddenly being thrust into it. Yeah. And there wasn't anybody there who could, who, as far as he could tell, there wasn't anybody else to turn to. There wasn't anybody. He didn't see anyone else as someone who he could turn to and say, what do I do? Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, it didn't pan out the way he wanted it. Um, but see. yeah, that's that. What's what's the third one? Let's go. The last one is: Will the Undercity Rune of Lordaeron ever be reoccupied by anyone? Maybe have the Red Dragon Flight come through and burn the Blight. It is a waste of a great location. I honestly hope that we get to see the reclamation of Lordaeron at some point. Yeah, it's, it's going to look great as an Alliance city. It, you know what? I'm. I think it actually would. No, I, I, I think so too. I'm, I'm not even being sarcastic here, and I'm not even trying to pick a fight with Horde players. I think that at this point, we should it, just call it done that the Alliance won that war. And let the Forsaken take Anderal. Let, let that be canonically where they were. You've talked about that before. Yeah, that, where, it's been said enough times. Sure, they took it, they got Anderal. Let them have Anderal and let the Alliance. Yeah, you know what's empty right now? What's that? Tears Hand. Yeah. And it's got a bunch of undead wandering around in it who have no idea who they are or what to do. I'd like to see if after Shadowlands, it's not just the Forsaken anymore. That it, all these different people who got turned undead by different people by different factions. Although it's certainly not surprising that it kept being Dreadlords, is it? No. Um, but they they come together, and now you've got the the undead Scarlet Crusaders join the the under they join the the undead they join the forsaken faction and they have to like they're brought in by uh what's her name Kalia no 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 not not for this uh the one that was a Scarlet Crusader oh uh, L- uh Lillian Voss yeah Lillian Voss Lillian Voss could go she's the only one who could go she could go to them yeah. and say I went through it too I know exactly what you feel you're you are part of this come join come become the new order. Imagine now having like these new undead Scarlet Crusade people as like the the the, the blood guardians of, of the Undercity or whatever, and blood guardians because then the blood elves would be like, "That's our bit." <laughs> but, but yeah, totally. I want to see I want to see progress and I want to see consequences from yeah. that whole thing. And and I, I think would, that's I think that's it. Like seeing the progress and consequence. That was a major event. We have not reconciled it. it it's just a thing that happened that we lived through. That was a pivotal moment that we have not been able to go back to and and really deal with because canonically even the undead can't go back there even the forsaken can't go back there and having something where there's a concerted effort to like clean up that mess Heck, if we were gonna, if we were going to actually get lucky enough to have that new future where the faction wars aren't necessarily the player's business imagine if the Alliance and Horde could actually agree to make Lordaeron a free city, not run, tied you know, to anything, yeah, run the Forsaken can live there. It's a free city, and it's like it's literally the 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 East and West Berlin of Azeroth. It's the Cold War detente place. This is where you go 
to deal, you know, this is where you go to politic with the other faction to deal with them, to protest their actions, Leader, to have trade deals. Leadership of All the city of is a council made up of both. Yeah, it's right there. Yep. And, and you know, it's it's in the Eastern Kingdom, so like the alliance doesn't even have to work much to get to it. But it still allows the Forsaken to return to what is essentially their home. And I could see I could see Anduin going for it after what happened with Sylvanas, after what happened to him, and after what happened in Before the Storm, like where you get, you know, anybody who survived Sylvanas's purges, now, you know, he goes to them and says, this is your home. It's you, it was your home before you died. It's your home now. We have no desire to steal it from you. We, we know you need a place to be, uh, but we can't just let things go as they were, and we need to make some changes and just deal with it. And imagine all the stuff that could happen out of that. Yeah. You know, if you had a place where the Alliance and Horde constantly dealt with each other, that's a generator for stories. It's, it's you want to have your faction conflict stuff right there. And you want to have, okay, we're going to put aside our differences. It happens right there. Lord Oran becomes that place. And it would be a really fitting sort of, I don't want to say an end, but a rebirth for that city and what it what it was in the story because mm -hmm. it was it's been a catalyst now several times for pivotal moments let it be a catalyst one more time for a rebirth or a reimagining of how the factions interact i think that would be insanely fitting and i am here for it matt that is a fantastic idea and this is being recorded so y'all can mark it um but i agree i think that would be phenomenal but I think that's going to do it for today. We could talk for another hour. I'm sh I'm absolutely confident, and I know you all would like that. But if you are, well, you can go ahead and make sure that you donate to our Patreon because Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash Blizzard Watch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, the better chance at having your question answered on our podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And again, I am not joking when I say that your contributions to that Patreon, and I know everybody begs for donations or support, they allow us to do things like our other podcasts and provide content that we know that you, our listeners, are looking for. Um, so please consider it. Um, and as a, another reminder, and I, I one day hope that I can stop saying this, but for right now, all of us at Blizzard Watch stand with the employees of Activision Blizzard in a many change for a better tomorrow and a safer working environment. And we hope that well, that the demands are finally going to be met. But that, we'll see you next week.